What's up, Spell Slingers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Bruce Litton. And I'm Corey Janabagian. And this is Untap Upkeep Dream. Beer up. Alright guys, so we're back again with another episode. This one, it's going to sound a bit different than our normal episodes. And that's because it's a bit scripted compared to our normal episodes. Yeah, we're trying to be as precise as possible to really hammer home exactly how to play Magic the Gathering. That's right. We are talking about the basics of how to play. Yeah, we like to go on a lot of tangents on this show. <laughs> and not so, everything we say is, well, to be fair, it's, it's not as <laughs> concise as it could be. Yeah. Yeah, so on this one, we're just going to go straight to the point. And just get right down to it. Yeah. Well, we're going to use the the lingo of the game. We're going to actually explain it this time rather than just assuming that you all know it. Because we know that there's a lot of new listeners out here. And people have asked us straight up to make an episode that is directed at new players and how to play rather than just always talking about everything as if you already know what you're talking about. Yeah. Now, the one tangent that we will have are these delicious beers we've got. <laughs> I mean, well, we'll come back to them later, but yeah, let's let's take the tangent now. Yeah. So we as we do on this show, we drink a couple delicious brews and today we've got three of probably our favorites maybe. We will determine dude, that. Dude, after they're I sounding guess. good. I mean, they all do sound good. So to start us out, we've got Corey over here. You've got a Belgian style peach ale. So this is the Oxtehund. Belgian style sour ale, as Drew said, it's from Laughing Dog Brewery in Ponderate, Idaho. Yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like we've had Laughing Dog once before. Yeah, I really like Laughing Dog. It kind of looked familiar, and I just picked this up a couple days ago, but it said peach on the front. I was like, yeah. I'm getting that one for sure. Hell yeah, Belgian style sour ale. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm down dog? with sours. Is that what that is? Oh, yeah, so it translates to the eighth dog, huh. and it's their very first Belgian style sour ale, and it was brewed for their eighth anniversary. So mild tart sour brewed by souring our mash. The Axtahund is the first in a line of sour beers soon to be released by Laughing Dog Brewery. Ooh, so, so have to this is like check a, out the rest. Yeah, I was gonna say this is like a, a sneak preview, as it were. Ooh. It's seven uh, percent ale brewed with peaches. Is all it says. You're not messing around. Well, straight to the point, at least. I can imagine that the IBU is low, but who knows how low? Yeah, I like sours, Love especially them. fruity sours. So mm-hmm. let's give it a try. So we were talking earlier, and it smells like a peach cobbler. Definitely. Very fruity on the nose. Yeah, as soon as you open that, that one was peachy keen. I'm not getting too much peach. There's definitely a lot of fruity flavor. It's not very sour. I think it's it's tart in a not as citrusy way. You know, yeah. It's, like a, that's it's not like thing. a sharp it's, sour. It's yeah. kind of a mellow. I don't think I've ever had a peach sour. So it's a, oh, di- I'm it's a different kind of sour. I'm definitely getting the peach. Yeah. It kind of it almost tastes like a sour version of peach rings. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not mad at it. I certainly like it. I mean, yeah, it's delicious. Yeah. Just like, a little bit sweet. Yeah. It's got the the sweetness from the peaches, the the flavors there. It's definitely nice and fruity. The, but the it sourness is, a, is it's a Belgian, so it is yeah. a little funky, it, got a little has, weedy. But not as funky as a lot of other building styles that we've had on no, the show. I'm sure it's hidden by quite a bit of that tartness. <laughs> All right. So Garyan. You have a cider, which is not something that we do often on the show. No, we don't. I I enjoy them, though. Um, This is made by the Hive Winery, which is Utah's, they say it's Utah's first hard cider. So this is a a local brewery here, um, and this one's called the Autumn Stinger. It's an autumn apple cider. Now, this is also 7% alcohol by volume, um, unknown IBUs. 
but being it's a cider, a cider so I'm sure generally it's don't zero. have an IBU count. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so this one was actually made in Layton, was where I currently live. Ooh. <laughs> I've never heard of this place. <laughs> I might have to go. Oh my god. <laughs> so, so the first thing when we opened the bottle, Gary looked at me, poured it out, and he said, Does, does it smell, smell like fall? fall? <laughs> yeah. The bottle looks like fall. They've got all the leaves, they've got the colors. And Corey, you said it smells? It smells exactly like applesauce. So and I agree. I had an apple, like an apple type cider ale two or three days ago that was very tart, kind of appley. Um <laughs> Drew won't share. Uh <laughs> give it to but me. it was just kind of a normal cider. This here is not that. This tastes like my mom's applesauce that she makes. Oh like my homemade god. applesauce so turns into my god. <laughs> yeah. This This is, is all delicious. of the good parts of fall. Yeah, I'm gonna like, have to buy twelve of these and save them for yeah. when the leaves start changing. No, yeah, screw this all is the delightful. pumpkin spice bullshit. This oh. is what you want in the fall. All right, and for me, we've got the Young's Double Chocolate Stout. I believe this is a nitro. It's got the nice little ball inside. Uh, you can tell just by the way that it, it degasses and the way that it pours that it's gonna be smoother than all hell. It just looks fantastic. It looked like you were pouring milkshake that was just black instead <laughs> of like. Pure, nice and luxury. malty on the nose. Yeah, it definitely is dark, really malty on the nose. Got a little bit of sweetness on it. Mm. The only thing that could make this beer better is they used lactose and just turned it into a milk stout. <laughs> so this is a nice chocolate stout. This is, is very good. Honestly, it's very much like that Samuel Smith chocolate stout that we had before, but it actually feels texture-wise less thick than that yeah. other. I do think the Samuel Smith is better, but this is a, a nice chocolatey... Stout. I, it, I think it's a little more malt forward than yeah. it is chocolate, which is kind of weird for a double chocolate. But yeah, it's made with chocolate and chocolate. <laughs> like they literally said, it's made yeah. with chocolate twice on the on the thing. Yeah, it chocolate really and natural chocolate flavor. It's just chocolate, just mm-hmm. yeah. right away. Uh, so this is five point two percent ABV and twenty five IBUs. So not as not super bitter. bitter. For yeah. yeah, I like it. But it's it's smooth. It's not necessarily mellow. like yeah, exactly. It's mellow. I was gonna say it's not really bitter. As some stouts can be. It's um, also not as sweet as some stouts, which is kind of weird for a chocolate stout. It's more like a dark chocolate feel than it would be a milk chocolate or something like that. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, but it just tastes I'm like coffee and chocolate milk, kind of. A nice it's new really stout good. to try. So this is good for me. So on one of our episodes, we had the Ninkasi Otis, Vanilla Otis Stout, and that was the best beer of the show. We all kind of agree. So good. I feel like the stout this time around is the worst of the show. I think so. Unfortunately, I agree, yeah. yeah. How the tables have turned. <laughs> hey, it just happens. It's, it's not extremely sweet or bitter. I think that's part of the problem. I maybe think it's it like perfect middle be, of the road, you know? Yeah, it was meant to be mellow and accessible, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I I think that's what they're going for. Then they nailed it. Yeah. But maybe at the detriment of a little bit of flavor that could have been there. A little wild card kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Now that we've all got our beers filled up, beer in hand rules as we all grab a cup, uh, let's talk about... The this wonderful game we call Magic the Gathering. So notably, first of all, this is the very first trading card game ever. It's a really good mix of competitive strategy card game as well as actual beautiful collectible art. I mean, and some of it has deteriorated throughout the years and some of it has gotten just incredible. As you'll see on our, our set that we have, all the pictures probably have the history of New Banalia in the background. Yeah, the and, little scroll. Yeah, and... And tell me that that is not just beautiful. Yeah, a lot of those Gorgeous old cards time. are gross as hell, but they're still awesome in their own respect. That's really what pulled me into the game was the cool, gross, dirty <laughs> art. 
So, this was invented by Richard Garfield in the 90s, early 90s, and they released the very first set in 1993 with this built-in set of rules and interactions, which have permeated the game inherently since the very beginning of printing these cards. Yeah, so at the beginning of each game, each player in a normal game, let's uh, say like not Commander, some special variant, uh, starts with 20 life, and the objective of the game, if you don't have like alternative win cons, win conditions that is, uh, to win the game is to reduce your opponent's life points to zero. So when the game was first created, the lore behind Magic was that each player was a wizard and that they would use spells, that is the cards that we use, to defeat their opponents. Yeah, that's sort of the story behind why we are playing the game. Right, and that's where the actual cards come in. Yeah, and so in just a regular standard game, like Drew was saying, not any crazy format, everyone starts with 60 cards in their deck. And there's two main type of cards in these decks. There's lands... And there's spells. Lands help you cast the spells. So the lore goes that these wizards, which are us, the players, would tap into the power of these lands and use those to cast spells and use abilities and summon creatures and do all this crazy stuff. Yeah, one of the first things you're going to realize when you get your hands on a few of these cards is that they're all color-coordinated to some degree, and that's obviously intentional. As we said before, from the very beginning, Garfield created this game with a complex and beautiful structure based on math and lore story that creates a very, very tight balancing effect that permeates through the whole game. Right. And as far as the math is concerned, we actually have planned to do an entire episode talking about the math because it really is... It's so, going to take an episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just so integral to the game and it's so important. And yep. uh, Garfield has a PhD in mathematics. Like, the guy's a genius when it comes to this yeah. sort of thing. And it took so long for him to develop exactly how magic works. Um, even the simplest of decks, when you really break it down, you realize there is a lot going on, even in the, the easiest ways to play the game. Yeah. Right. So there are five colors of magic. We've got white, blue, black, red, green, uh, colloquially called Wooburg, uh, and each of those colors are tied to a different type of land. Plains are white lands, and they create white mana that is then used to cast white spells. Mana is like the power that you get from those lands. Right. And so blue has islands, black has swamps, red has mountains, and green has forests. Each time you tap a land, it generates mana, which is what Gary is talking about, which is stored temporarily in what we call your mana pool. This isn't like an actual area of the table or anything. It's a metaphorical kind of area uh, just kind of to represent where the mana is. And so you build up a mana pool, and then you use the mana in that pool to cast spells. So if mana in your mana pool goes unspent at the end of each step or turn, it disappears from your mana pool and is generally considered to be wasted. Yep. So this is important because back in the old days, there was something called mana burn. And what so that dumb. was, yeah, <laughs> essentially what it was is that if you had mana left in your mana pool, it would deal damage to you. And it's long and away been abolished by the rules because... It's just rubbing salt in a wound at yeah, that point. <laughs> it's, it's not conducive to the way the game is played. Yeah. yeah, so if you take any of these spell cards and look in the top right corner, you'll see there's some numbers and some colored symbols. And the colored symbols just let you know which color of mana you need to use in order to cast it. So, for example, if there's a little forest, you need one green mana. If there's two little mountains or little fire symbols, you need two red mana. And then there's often a gray number right next to these mana symbols, which is just called generic mana, which just means that you need to tap mana of any color in order to use this spell. For example, we have the card... Grizzly Bears, which is a green creature card for one generic mana and one green mana. Easy. So you need to tap a green source, usually a forest, and then 
one mana of any other color. It could be another green. It could be any other color. Right. And so this has a converted mana cost of two because that is the total amount of mana that has been spent to cast the spell. Yep. Now, as we said before, each player starts the game with a 60-card deck in front of them. But before we even start our first turn, there are a few things we've got to do. First, we're going to roll a die or two to determine which player goes first. Usually, you're going by the high roll. Yeah, generally, you just need some sort of like random way to determine how the first person goes. Because yeah. you don't want it to be unfair. Right. You could literally do rock, paper, scissors if you want to. Um, and then we're, each player is going to shuffle their deck... And you're going to ask your opponent if they want to cut it, which is basically them taking the top half and moving it to the bottom, which discourages people from cheating. Yeah, again, this is just another way to randomize the deck because you're going to randomize it beforehand by shuffling. And yeah. it's just to make sure that you're not stacking your deck some way. Yeah, exactly. there's a lot of shuffling in Magic. It's a good thing. <laughs> it's a bad thing. But it's just part of the game. You get used to it. It's, yeah. yeah, it's fine. Okay, so after that, everyone draws seven cards. They look at them and decide if they want to keep them. Or do what's called a mulligan. Yeah. Uh, so that's like your opening seven, right? That's kind of yeah. what, what everyone talks about. And so the mulligan is to help make sure that the opening hand that you have in the game is actually playable. Yeah. And so a mulligan basically just means you put your hand back, shuffle your deck again, and draw another seven if there's a free mulligan. But oftentimes you go, you lose a card, so you get punished each time you do another mulligan. Yep. Unfortunately, the science and technique of taking a mulligan depends very heavily on your deck your amount of experience, and a lot of times what decks you're playing against. So we're probably not going to go into all the specifics of mulliganing because that could encompass a whole episode by itself. Yeah, and there's there's been a lot of iterations on what the mulligan is. Right. So that's something that, honestly, we could just cover in a completely other episode. Yeah. Uh, so we're not going to do here because there really is a lot that has gone into making the mulligan what it currently is. And if we talk about a mulligan now, it could actually be different by the time change, yeah. you hear this episode. But yeah. just know that it's an option. Yeah, and so very basically, you want to keep a hand that has like two or three lands, not more than five, and just the rest spells. This just means that you can play your lands early, draw some cards, and keep playing your spells. Because if you have more than five, then it's, just, it's usually too many, and you sort of get drawn out. Yeah, your opponents are probably going to be able to act more often. And be able to win because you're just not acting, you're playing lands, and you don't draw enough spells in time. Yeah. Once both players decide that they're going to keep their opening hands, player one will begin their turn one. This is the only time in Magic when a player will not draw a card at the beginning of their turn. That does depend, of course, on what format you're playing. Yeah. There are some formats, multiplayer formats specifically, that allow you to draw on your first turn. But yeah. in most heads-up formats, that is 1v1, you're not going to draw on your first turn if you're the person who starts the game. Yep, and the reason is because it's statistically proven that the player who goes first has a large advantage during the game of Magic. So they've done this in order to try and balance out the fact that player one is making their moves before player two. So they make the player who goes first skip their very first card draw in order to sort of even that disparity. So at the beginning of every other subsequent turn, each player will draw a card at the beginning of their turn. Right, and so for every player... Every turn that you have is broken down into five phases, and each of these phases has to be done in a specific order. And within those phases, there are specific steps. The first phase is the beginning phase. Sounds easy, right? It consists of three steps. We said this game is complicated, and this is kind of where that comes in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. So the name of our podcast is Untap, Upkeep, Drink. This is a pun on the first three steps of magic. Untap, upkeep, draw. So in magic, when cards have been used in general, we tap them 
what we call it, uh, by turning them 90 degrees. Some people tap it less than 90 degrees, but the idea is that you have to show that you are using that card, and that's how you do it, is by turning it some amount. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into this shortly, but just so you know, the very first thing you do is to untap any cards that have been used on your last turn in order to show that they can be used again. There are some cards that specifically state on them that they don't untap during your untap step, and that's very card-specific. But for the most part, you will untap all of your cards, and this is the only time that cards can be untapped unless a spell or ability says otherwise. The upkeep phase is to check all of your cards and make sure none of them have effects that will trigger during the beginning of your turn. Most of these cards will have the phrase, at the beginning of your upkeep, do such and such. However, if no cards say that, you move on to the very self-explanatory draw step, where yep. you draw one card. Whoa. <laughs> magic. I actually shouldn't say magic. I mean, it is magic, but magic. voila, I guess. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. So after drawing your card for the turn, you'll move to what is called your first main phase. So there's two main phases, one before combat and one after combat. Your pre-combat and post-combat main phase. Yep. And so as a general rule, these are the two phases where you're allowed to play and cast your spells. Now, just like drawing only one card per turn, you're going to play one land per turn. This is just a, a way to balance the game. And so there's cards in the game that let you bypass this, which are very, very powerful. But just remember, you play one land per turn. And they can only be played on your main phase. Yes. Correct. So during your main phase, you put one land on the battlefield in front of you per turn, and then use that land and or any others that you've played all throughout the game to cast your spells. So now's a good time to talk about another way that magic separates its cards into different types. We have lands, um, and then we have spells, which we can further separate into five basic types. We have creatures, artifacts, enchantments, sorceries, and instants. The first three are considered permanent cards because when you cast them, they go onto the battlefield and they stay there until another card is played that can kill or remove them from the battlefield. Right, so creatures, artifacts, enchantments. Those are your permanents. There's the extra card type, Planeswalker, which was introduced later in the game. Correct. That is also a permanent, but generally Planeswalkers are not as not as seen and not as often used as what the other Sort of a special. Yeah, they're kind of weird exceptions to these rules they they almost function as another little player yeah they're they're, they're sort of a combination of a lot of these card types yep. the last two are non-permanent cards because when they are cast they are put from your hand into play they have an effect which is written on the card and then that card is put into the graveyard after it has done what it says on the card these are basically one-time effects right there are, are certain rules and uh rules text that get around that, whether, you know, they're allowed to... You'll find that with a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, they, they get around the rules in their own ways. Uh, some cards are specifically written that they have rebound or some other effect that causes them to activate a second time. This fall beer is just really <laughs> hitting me. Yeah, I think one thing that you'll see if you just start looking at cards, especially nowadays, there's exceptions and weird rulings for anything you do. Yep. All right, so now that you've played spells during your first main phase, we move to the next phase, which is called the combat phase. Even though it seems like the fighting would be the simplest part of magic, as it turns out, it's actually one of the most complex phases that you will encounter. We're going to be doing an entire episode dedicated to this one step because it is difficult. But for now, we're going to at least touch on the fact that this is the phase where you use your creatures to attack other players. One basic thing to note here is that you cannot attack their creatures directly. You attack them as a player or their planeswalkers if they have them. And then that player decides whether or not they want to block, putting their creatures in a defending state in front of your creatures. That tends to be like the quote-unquote noob or rookie move is to attack 
a creature that you think is threatening you, but unfortunately you can't do that. Yeah, I think a lot of other trading card games differ from magic in that respect because you attack and deal damage to the creatures directly yeah. instead of the player. While in magic, you attack them and they get to figure out how to block. Yeah, they don't necessarily do have to block stuff. at all. I guess having magic as like my first TCG, like real TCG, it is weird to me that you attack creatures. I agree. Yeah, like, like in Hearthstone, you're just like, I can kill this thing <laughs> right off the bat and kill your best creature on the board? To do that. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a little weird. Yeah, so the the combat phase has five steps to it, which are beginning of combat, declare attackers, declare blockers, combat damage, and then the end of combat. And in order to move into the combat step, where you can actually start attacking people, you have to declare it and let everybody know that you're moving to it. Because when you once you move from phase to phase, you have to declare this and let everybody have a chance to... To play some spells or react to that. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that we'll get into later on. But everyone gets a chance to do basically react to everything that everybody yeah. does. And once you get more experience, you don't necessarily have to literally say, I am moving to the combat step. A lot of times you just say, okay, I'm going Move to attack. To yeah. yeah. And so just... This telling people that you're moving to the combat step just signals that you're done casting spells right. out of your main phase. You can't play lands anymore. You're moving in to attacking. So we're going to declare combat, and then we move to declare attackers, which is where you actually decide which of your creatures are going to be attacking your opponent or opponents, depending on how many you have. However, creatures that you've just summoned that turn have summoning sickness. So summoning sickness is this term, which basically just means if you've cast this creature this turn, you can't attack with it or use its tap abilities. You basically can't use it until your next turn. And of course, like you'll find with most rules, there are types of creatures that can circumvent this, and we'll get to that in another yeah, step. The main keyword that you should be familiar with is haste, which kind of circumvents yeah. summoning sickness. One thing to know is that a creature with summoning sickness can't attack, but it can still block. Correct. So after you declare that, your opponent is then able to decide whether or not to block and with which creatures they're going to block. They also get to decide which of their creatures blocks which of your creatures. So that decision is, in fact, made by the blocking opponent. And that's important. Yeah. So if your opponent blocks with multiple creatures, however, you get to decide the order of which you deal damage. So if a creature deals five damage to two creatures, say one has got three toughness and one has two toughness, then it can assign damage to three and two, and you can decide which one it deals damage to, quote-unquote, first. So if you have any effects, then that, that's where that matters. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of strategy in combat comes into play because you have to figure out which you can attack with and which they're going to block with. So you have to think ahead of them and try and figure out what they're going to do at the same yeah, time. You before have to you look at what would be the best creatures for them to block with. Yeah. 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 So when we're talking about damage, if you look at the bottom right-hand side of every creature card, you'll find two specific numbers separated by a slash. The first number is its power, which is how much damage it's going to deal. And the second is its toughness. So toughness is kind of like how much life it has, how much damage it can take before it dies. Uh, once these creatures take damage, that damage stays with them until either they die, which means they're going to be put into a graveyard, or until the last phase of each turn where damage wears off. Once we have damage, we move to the end of combat where you announce that you're moving to your second main phase. Yeah, this seems like a weird step of that phase to have, but there are certain cards, once you get into it, that can interact during this phase after damage has been dealt. So just note. So once you're in your second main phase, just like your first main phase, you can play a land for turn if you haven't already. And then you can also cast spells again. And so this can be an advantageous way to use your spells that you might have played early in turn 
And after combat, you can see what your opponents have done, what you still have left on the board, and go from there. Like, if you wanted to play a creature that might have died during combat, you can now play after combat where it can be safe. Or if something that they have is still alive and you thought it might die in combat, you can now kill it and get rid of it. If you have, like, a spell that does damage or something like that and they block with it, they kill your creature, but it still has damage marked on it, you can then use your second main phase to deal damage to it to finish it off. Well, and because your opponent gets to decide whether or not to block, you can also play an important creature after they've decided to block something less important where maybe they would have saved those creatures for this other creature. So it's just a way to hide some information for as long as possible to give yourself a little bit of an edge. The last phase we move to is called the ending phase. This is where any card that says at the end of turn can trigger. It's important to note that those triggers happen at the beginning of your ending phase. The very last thing that happens before the next player's turn starts is what we call the cleanup step. This is the last step of the end phase. At this point, the damage that creatures took during combat wears off. They are now back to their original marked stats. So if you have a 5-5 creature that took 3 damage until the end of the turn, it is technically a 5-2. Two Two damage will kill it. At the end step where damage wears off, it becomes a 5-5 again. You are also required to count the cards in your hand and discard down to seven cards. Seven cards is the maximum hand size that you can have when passing your turn. So if you have more than that, you have to choose which cards you want to put into your graveyard to get back down to seven. So now as we're getting ready to pass the turn to the next player, we rinse and repeat. We've mentioned a specific card type called instance earlier. And these are very special cards that can be played at almost any point in the game. Other cards require to be in one of your two main phases in order to cast them, but instants can be played at virtually any point during your turn or during your opponent's turn. So if your opponent's cast a spell on your turn or their turn, you can cast an instant spell as a response to that card, which allows for cool interactions and it allows you to, for in case of counter spells, stop them from doing what they're trying to do. Yeah. So the way that cards interact when we're playing and casting them, as well as abilities, it happens on what is called the stack. And the next episode that we're doing is actually going to be entirely about the stack and priority, which is when you're allowed to play instance and activate abilities. So for now, we're just going to leave you with these basics and hope that you can go out and grab some cards and start playing right away. Yeah, I'd like to mention real quick before we wrap up that you can go to most LGS stores, local game store, that carry Magic the Gathering cards and ask for what are called welcome decks. They're actually a pack of free Magic the Gathering cards that are two decks that you can play with your friends. I actually taught my seven-year-old son with these decks. They're really simple. They don't have very complex interactions, but they're very, very good at explaining how to play the game. So if you run through this episode and go out and grab a free pack of cards, I think those two things are going to be enough to get you hooked on this super sick game. Now, I don't know if it's just Card Kingdom's own version of welcome decks or if it's the welcome decks themselves but when you open them up you should be able to play them straight as they are without shuffling because they're intended to demonstrate how turns go and how you're able to play spells and activate abilities yeah watsi also has this product called spell slinger sets which are exactly like that they're just two 1v1 60 card standard decks that you don't shuffle they have they lay out everything that you're supposed to do on a turn and it's just meant to teach people how to play So this has been one of the more complicated episodes that we've done, just filled with a lot of information. We encourage all of you, first-time listeners especially, to just re-listen a few times. Especially if you're a new player. Especially if you're a new player. Watch the YouTube video where we'll have a lot of the cards up and 
I think we probably have done it in a way that you could actually play a hand listening along with your, you know, grab a friend and kind of play along as we explain what you're doing. If we have, then we've done a pretty good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please let us know. So do you guys want to get a, a last uh, taster in with these beers before we wrap up? Yeah, that sounds like a, a good idea. So I think, I don't know how, how long ago it'll be to the, the listeners, but we had uh, an episode a while ago where we had Ninkasi's Vanilla Otis. It was an oatmeal stout. And it was the beer of the show, basically. Quite it was good. It was the best beer oh, yeah. by, I think, a large margin. And I hate to say it, but the stout this time around is the opposite of that. It's totally fine. It's 100% acceptable. It's a Unfortunately, good beer, it is just fine. But it's, it's <laughs> not like the be-all, end-all. It is a nice chocolate nitro stout, which yeah. are all the things I want out of a stout. But it just it doesn't do anything exceptional. It just is good. Yeah, it's incredibly easy to drink. But like Drew was saying, it's just, it's good. It's not. Wow. For, for a can that says double chocolate on the can, right? In big, bold letters, I feel like the chocolate was far more subdued than the sort of malty coffee kind of flavors. But it's also not super bitter, like a real heavy malty stout. So it's just very kind of middle of the road, mellow, dark beer. Yeah, it's like. Very smooth. If your significant other brings you home and their parents describe you as, eh, he's nice or whatever. It's like, <laughs> he's like that, that, that's not how you want that's to be described. It's just, yeah, yeah like, like, you're fine. Like, okay, you'll, you'll do, I guess, yeah. but you're not something I'm excited to see or talk about. Yeah, so I was drinking Diaxtahund. Diaxtahund. Yeah. So it was the peach sour from Laughing Dog. Smells like peach cobbler. Yeah, it really. still smells like peach cobbler. And the peach has definitely come out a lot more. Does it sit I think as it warms up. Yeah, I didn't really get it at first, but now it's definitely hitting me super hard. I, sweet peach. I do enjoy I really like beer. It. It's, nice it's not very sour, but it's still a delightful fruity beer. It's kind of weird. Like, uh, as as it kind of sits, the, uh, I was going to say, like, weediness, the the flour, uh, or the, the, the crust, that's the word that I was looking for, <laughs> the crust of the, of the cobbler kind of comes in. Yeah. See, I get a whole lot of like the the very first half second is kind of that sour, like a mellow sour, not a sharp citrus sour. Yeah. And then it just mellows out into like that kind of sweet peach ring. It's almost an artificial peach to me. It's not super like fresh off the... Yeah, that might have been like why it didn't peach. like jump yeah. out to me at first because it wasn't But it definitely punchy. doesn't just like artificial. It's not like yeah, I don't know if I'd say that. It's just a subdued peach yeah. flavor. But it's really nice. Good. But it's, actually, I, it's, it's better than... It's, it's better than nice. It's, it's pretty damn good. Yeah, I've actually been mixing it with Gary and Cider. <laughs> Which has made it 10 out of 10. Yeah, it makes it more of a... Is it mixed right now? Is that what yeah. I just tasted? No, this this is just pure. Okay. Yeah. Just but a it, pure extra. But it makes it more of a cobbler because you get the, the you spiciness. Yeah, all the spiciness. Yeah, if we want to talk about the showstopper so of this good. episode. Yeah, it's got to be the cider. Yeah, which is kind of weird because usually ciders are kind of bland when you're kind of drinking. They're now. the version of the beer that I'm talking about, which is usually they're fine. fine. Like they're they're never yeah. yeah, if you don't like beer, okay. a lot decided. of times they're overly sweet. Yeah. Um, a lot of times. Which this one is sweet. I'll give it that. But, but it's, it's so, so flavorful. Appley sweet and just it, not it's spicy, sm- yeah. but spice. It's it oh. smells like applesauce. It tastes like applesauce. Yeah. It just has the spice just think of and those the like uh, fruity. It, it's got all everything you want out of it. Yeah, those scented flat uh, scented leaves that people put out during like October and like Thanksgiving time that just give off that cinnamon nutmeg. It's it's literally like cooked apple 
and, and spices. Yeah. Like, there's Damn, there's so nothing wrong apple with pie this. filling. Just mm-hmm. eating that. <laughs> See, and to me, this is like, apple t- pie filling. Because apple pie filling makes me nauseous and sick. Oh, and really? this makes, this is just tasty. To me, this tastes more like real apple than those peaches taste like real peach. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. I'd agree with that. And notably, it is from the Hive Winery in Layton, Utah. So very much a local. That might local, be why it's so good. Quite literally yeah, a stone's literally throw away. Half an hour away. <laughs> wow, okay, I mean, maybe not a stone. I was going to say it's in. Corey's backyard. Yeah, there. my we we should hit those guys up, please. Yeah, seriously. Now speaking of local breweries, and I mean this is technically the Hive Winery, but local places that are serving up some delicious alcohol. We always want to hear about people's local favorites. We've got tons of viewers from across the world who I'm sure have some awesome local delicacies. If you know of some really great beers. Shout us out on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. Like, let us know in the comments. We want to try all the beers. On Twitter, we are at UED Podcast, as well as on Facebook. On Instagram, we are Untap Up Keep Drink, as well as on YouTube. Which hopefully you guys are checking this out here. Yeah, I mean, we really like the fact that we're a podcast, but I think this this format, this this subject that we're doing really resolves revolves around the art and the the mechanics. Yeah, and it's I think good to be able to see the in cards. a lot of a lot of episodes. Checking out the YouTube video is great because you're going to see the art, you're going to see the wording, and sometimes we let's say we summarize the wording. True. Like we've seen so many cards so many times that we just we know what they are and we just give the the layman's version rather than the actual. We're going to try yeah. not to do that, but or we'll, we'll just mention a card name. Yeah. And you might have never seen that card before and it'll just pop up on the screen. So of course we want to thank you guys for joining us again on this episode. Hopefully you've learned something here. If you're a new player, hopefully this has helped you actually figure out what the game of magic is all about. Yeah, we're always down to answer questions pretty much any time of day. We're all kind of night owls as it were. Yeah, either questions about beer or magic. <laughs> yeah, and Gary has been more than uh, amicable as far as answering questions or just throwing it to one of us to let us know that hey i don't know like if he doesn't know that specific information yeah a lot of, of times i'm pretty sure i'm like true double check me answer <laughs> yeah, are the rule are the rules correct here and just like yeah yeah, yeah you're right or it's here this is the actual specific yeah. yeah and most of the time it's yes it, think, it works how you think it works but sometimes you know there are weird weird rules going on and it's it's good to double check exactly and as always guys have fun but not too much